Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us here on what was a sunny but is now a rather cloudy day in a deserted, I should say, city of Westminster, as once again we make sure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on the topic of leadership. I'm Scott Challoner and I'm joined on the air today by Tina Jackson. Tina is the Managing Director of the Linked Community Interest Company in Redcar, North Yorkshire, which delivers therapeutic interventions for young people and families in need of emotional and mental health support. Tina, welcome to the programme, and it's great to have you on the air Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here as well. Thank you. It's an absolute pleasure having you. Now, um, the purpose of this podcast series, of course, is to gather really a variety of different perspectives on leadership as a whole. So what I'd like Mm -hmm. to understand is what that word leader means to you, because leadership really has many different faces, doesn't it? Yes, it does. I think I often feel a bit um, embarrassed by the term leader. Um, But I think that's probably just my nature for for myself. Um, I I think what leadership means to me is actually uh, taking along, you know, working alongside people and taking them with you. So if you're making any changes, it's making sure that they're all on board with you. you know, with any changes, you're going to have, uh, you know, some people who are going to find it difficult. So I think it's making sure that, I think being honest with people is a really, you know, um, important thing. Sharing information because people feel very difficult, you know, find it difficult not to not to know things. So it's sharing what's, um, what's appropriate. I think it's, um, for me personally, it's, it's uh, having a hands-on approach myself. Um, I think I mean one point um, some families we were working with actually thought I was the cleaner for quite a few months. Oh goodness! Um, because I think it's just because I'd, I'd be popping around doing this, doing that, and you know they didn't realise what my what my role was really. So I suppose it's it's um, encouraging everybody, and um, also I think have, making the hard decisions when you need to. You know sometimes we have to make hard decisions and it's about being brave enough to be able to to do that um i think it's you need to have the respect of people if you haven't you know and that's something you have to earn i feel like you always have to earn that ticket really um i was a social worker for a lot of lot of years and i feel that you know i've never wanted to to do something or ask somebody to do something that i've never been prepared to do myself so I think it's people knowing that, you know, you're going to be with them, but you will work exactly like, you know, they need to. That's that's my view about leadership, really. And I think a lot of the uh, the points that you mentioned there, Tina, um, link back to that keyword humility, don't they? That ability to mm-hmm. lead by example, be willing to muck in and get yourself onto a level with those around you. Um, but also mm-hmm. this idea that maybe the word leader is a little bit bewildering. I mean, there's humility there as well, um, isn't there, in the sense that you feel yourself as just um, one of everybody else. And that's a really good mentality to have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, um, well, as I say, you, you know, you know, it, it's, for me, leadership is not about, you know, a title or having a, you know, sort of big office or, you know, things like that. It's actually um, knowing people, people knowing that they can come to you, that, you know, that um, they can come to you for, for support, you're approachable, you know, you're not sat there in a, in a big office. That's what leadership means to me, really. 
Exactly. It's, it's very important to be accessible to those around you because mm-hmm. fundamentally being a leader is about them just as much as it is about yourself at the top, isn't it? Because without yeah, people absolutely. around you, you're not really leading anything as such, are you? Well, no, I definitely aren't. <laughs> and one of the more of a small trader. And one of the downsides, downsides to leadership, um, I would, I was going to say, um, is very much, um, as you mentioned, that it is um, a requirement as a leader to have to make some very difficult decisions. And also mm-hmm. that can mean that there's a lot of pressure on leaders as well. And sometimes when people sort of take on leadership roles, they can kind of forget that and almost shy away from it a little bit, can't they? Yeah, I think one of the um, the biggest things that I've sort of learned uh, throughout is the book stops, you know, with, with you, basically. Mm. Um, you know, I've sort of felt it that sort of sometimes everybody else can go home at five o'clock, but if there's work to be done, that has to be, you know, picked up. And if it's your responsibility, you need to to do it. So I think it's, you know, having, well, it's having to do that. I think sometimes it can feel quite lonely. Um, You know, I mean, you've got your colleagues around you, but sometimes at the end of the day, you know, the decisions uh, are down to you. you know, I mean, you've got a board and things, but sometimes those, those snap decisions or, and I think sometimes people look to you to make those decisions because you've been around quite a while or something. Um, so those things I've found difficulties with, you know. Um, but, I, you know, I, I enjoy the role. Um, sometimes it, it's exhausting because it's a, you know, it's seven-day-a-week role. It's like, you know, you can't... Um, you can't close up at five o'clock, close your computer and think, well, I'm, I'm going because if somebody needs something, you need to be around. Exactly right. Um, it can be very, very demanding at times uh, being a leader. And I think there has to be a degree of self-awareness there, doesn't there? That like, you're not mm-hmm. always going to have all of the, um, the answers uh, there. Um, there are yeah. going to be times when you're not sure what's going on, what's going to happen. And that's especially prevalent yeah. in the current situation as well. So it's important to recognize that we are, we do have limitations as humans and we are fallible as well. And yeah. that goes not just for the leader, but also those around them. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we we all just try our best, don't we? You know, and so it's pointless being critical of others, and because we're all just, you know, trying to 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 get through. Especially as things are now, we've had to rearrange the service, how we deliver it. So it, it's been adaptable as well. You know, it's. Mm. Um, I think especially in change, you know, we, we might. Um, I've developed a few services, and I think sometimes you might have a an idea what that service would look like. You know, so you could set it up, but it's been flexible enough to know that if it goes off to the left or the right, that sort of you're meeting the needs then, you know, because it's no good having a service, but you're saying, well, this is what we've got and people not being able to access it. Um, you know, so it's been willing to shape, listen, uh, especially to the families who work with, you know, just the members of staff. So it's looking at what works, what doesn't, doesn't work. So I think it is a flexibility as well. It's no good being rigid. I think that's absolutely right. And um, we talked about, as a leader, the importance of being able to take people with you and inspire people. But have there mm-hmm. any been any examples of people who've maybe been an inspiration to you throughout your career and your development, Tina? Um, probably, I mean, locally, more Mullen. Um, you know, she was, uh, you know, a brilliant politician. I mean, the skills that she showed in you know, Northern Ireland, the bravery that she showed. You know, she's always been some some uh, someone that I've really respected, I suppose. Um, 
trying to think. There will be, but the thought, you know, I mean, it would, Mavia would stand out as more Moreland, I think. Mm, it's a very, very interesting um, example there. And um, it's an example of somebody really who sort of stayed true to uh, what they believe in. And I think in times of adversity, such as this current COVID-19 situation, where everybody's thinking about survival, I think sticking by your principles as a leader is something that will yeah. really hold you in good stead as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, you know, well, that's that's the key thing, you know, to sticking to those principles and not being diverted. Not, to, I mean, one of the key things I've always sort of impressed uh, is that, you know, that when the kick was developed or even before, that it would actually, uh, it was always going to be um, that it was there for families and for the children. Because when I was a social worker, I worked with quite a lot of services where there was, you know, access criteria and families had to go through hoops. And I think sometimes it's really about, you know, the, the access criteria is actually designed to exclude people, really. So, you know, we try to be flexible as well, responding to need. If something comes up, we'll think, right, how problem solving as well, you know, how can we how can we do that? How can we, um, you know, change that rather than thinking, oh, we don't do that? You know, well, yes, we do if, uh, if some families need it or we find a way that we can do it. I think it's having a can-do attitude as well. Mm, because you can learn an awful lot in terms of skills as you develop it within a certain profession but I think having a certain mm-hmm. positive attitude such as that a certain drive and a certain determination I think those things kind of have to come from within don't they? They do um, and I think you know you, you can uh, teach leadership skills you know there can be sort of you know all that kind of things but I think unless you've got that kind of it has to be, you have to have um, a passion you know, and a passion to for what you're working towards and for, really. And mine has always been young people, with, children, young people with mental health problems. So it's always been my passion, my career, uh, sort of focused on that uh, right throughout me being a social worker. And did you realise quite early on then that through that passion you would end up going into your own community interest venture and really being in a leadership position yourself and helping people suffering from mental health issues? Um, it probably all happened accidentally. I mean, um, my parents died when I was a teenager and then uh, I suffered with mental health problems. So I don't, it was always something that was a passion. So I worked in the NHS and uh, in social care, in specialist services. Um, and then I worked independently for a while. And then it was just that this, you know, the opportunity came up for me to develop this. So I just took it and, you know, went for it. I think it was, I was given, I was asked by the local authority if I'd like to try and set something up, you know, with about 60,000, I think. And I think our turnover is now nearly 600,000. It's quite incredible um, how it's um, grown and it's also coincided with mental health um, awareness really gaining some traction and I think that has continued throughout this pandemic as well, hasn't it? Given that we're all away from each other during this period, it's really, really coming to the fore now, that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, we're seeing it with the families we work with, anxiety levels, you know, are absolutely through the roof. Um you know, we, we can we can see we've been doing some online groups for the young people and the children, trying to keep them, you know, a bit occupied. Parents as well, linking them up online. Um, we're doing sort of keeping in touch calls. We're doing one-to-one telephone support. Um, 
we're doing the therapeutic intervention. So there's there's lots and lots of, you know, support we're doing. But I think one of the things is um, what's going to happen after it ends. Um, so we're trying to prepare prepare for that and actually calling up some of our close cases just to check on how they're doing, you know, to, to sort of maybe ease their difficulties before the end so that they don't need to re-refer. So we're trying as much as we can to sort of prevent what's going to, what really will be, you know, quite a tsunami of referrals, I would think, really, you know, for the mental health problems. It certainly is uh, going to be a very busy time for mental health services um, once we do emerge from the other side of this pandemic. But what else do you envision for that time, Tina? And what do you hope to achieve over the next uh, 12 months as a community interest company before we do wrap things up today? I think, um, well, we're looking at sort of the government, uh, that that new loan that's coming out, um, and maybe increasing, you know, our staffing to try to, uh, meet that need. Um, I think one of the things that we've been doing is sort of also lower level support and that's looking at the whole family. Um, so I think that's where we are at the, the next 12 months. But also, I think um, getting it out there because I think, you know, getting the name of the charity, of the, of the kick out there so that, you know, uh, we can, well, we're quite well recognised uh, locally, but it's maybe trying to get it out there further so we can get some more support so I think that's one of the, the key things for for this next 12 months really it will certainly be um be huge and let's certainly hope as well that we do maintain um that the sort of the awareness of uh, this issue going forward because it yeah. is a very very important issue the light is being shed on it at the moment just as it is with the NHS and its difficulties Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's important that we don't lose sight of that going forward I think that's absolutely right um we are just about out of time on today's uh, program Tina but I have to say it's been a really insightful and also a thoroughly enjoyable experience having you on the program today and you know what I think would be fantastic for the listeners as well as if in the next few months once we start to see things change and we start to emerge from this pandemic we could maybe revisit this and have you back on the program just to catch up on how uh, the uh, um, companies doing as well but for now that'd be brilliant i really have to say thank you so so much for taking the time to come on the air with us and speak with me for the listeners benefit today and um, thank you thank you very much i've really enjoyed it tina thanks so much again that thank was you. tina jackson the managing director of the link community interest company Coming up next on today's programme, I'll be handing over to Jonathan White for his exclusive interview with England's 1966 Football World Cup hero, Sir Jeff Hurst, as well as scoring over 200 league goals for the likes of West Ham United and Stoke City during his professional football career. Sir Jeff remains the only man to this day to have scored a hat-trick in the final of a World Cup following his treble in England's 4-2 win over West Germany at the Old Wembley 54 long years ago. I hope you enjoy listening just as much as Jonathan enjoyed speaking with Sir Jeff. And that's coming up next. Uh, We're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final. Sir Jeff Hurst, uh, thank you very much for coming on today. uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, And perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Although there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me, realise that I did uh, score nothing 
for Essex, uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be playing, I guess, one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first-class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or, or football, obviously the importance of leadership, it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and a manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with. He'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you just think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with with a manager like like, uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with the, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved and what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more, looked upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he, how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he, he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, what I do, I do understand clearly in all walks of life, leadership is at the top, is absolutely vital for a, a, for a business, a football team, in any walk of life to be successful. And it's quite evident, I was in the motor trade for a long time as well, selling car warranties to car dealerships, and you could almost tell when you walked into the business, uh, in a, many of the car dealerships, you could almost tell from the moment you walked in 
by initial reaction, people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all. And so I understand the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved in my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Al Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, or at West Ham, your uh, playing came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man, I'm sure, when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, especially on South Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time at maybe overly strict by the time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across and very few people and he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who he didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn suit and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in the group that doesn't want to be part of it, you, you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learned over a long period of time. And is there, do you think... Uh a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, Jeff, you could uh, perhaps pick right now that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly, um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing um, in it only a few games before. I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final. And it looked at that stage as if I was going to be be playing in, in the team but uh, in a couple of friendly games more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, uh, Norway I think in Denmark mm. I didn't I played two of the four games and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England and he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay he started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Hunt. So I, I had an impact of thinking I at that stage I, like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back in the team because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, 
on Jimmy Gray's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be, be involved in the squad initially. Uh, Not at all. I didn't, you're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really, looking back out now. So I never really felt people talk about pressure a lot and it's there and people players talk about people talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessarily feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he'd moved one or two players out, the squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again the leadership that Al showed, he, he got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall they were great hard-nosed professional players um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm, I'm not making this up, I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows, in fact, starting this week, over the next uh, three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And there's, I won't mention both. There's too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And, of course, I jokingly say, yes, I was just about to, to shoot to score the goal. And I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, "Oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch." <laughs> so that—I've uh, been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke, make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited to just have a, look, have a glance round." You know. Maybe it does prove there are things that, such as stupid questions, really. Um... Oh yeah, there are. There certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. Uh, I was in a Jersey or Channel Line, Jersey or Jersey, two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions, absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely, but I can use that now, but it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then, but we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want, you want, you've got time, I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on, go on. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard a, somebody at the back who 
who asked the question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Uh, well, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then felt, again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it did, uh, um, it did make then again, laugh if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. <laughs> um, but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff, I think um, you, you were a young man when see this happened when you must have realized that people teammates began looking at you for leadership um is that something that occurred to you or did you just realize that by by quick one way or the other people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration well possibly that's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now quite frankly that's a new a new question mm. does anybody look up to me I'm sure perhaps uh, there are there are people who pay you compliments of, of uh, fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and of course in, uh, England fans who um, I, I think probably uh, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest that I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. Uh, well, um, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Uh, perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a uh, helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch, is people must realise that that's, that has an influence. How you react and behave mm-hmm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely, probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team latterly. Um, yeah, and and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader? Um. Well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really? Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to their attitude. Is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but. There's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck that's absolutely leadership he'd be the best example of course in in football terms today Uh, easily easily and of course but going back not that long ago Alex Ferguson who's just absolutely Mm. 
you've got to take him as the first example because Klopp's only done this over a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United and subsequently since he's gone, how they, they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen, we've seen, we've probably ever seen. And I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing. Astonishing. And do you think, could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think, yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood, yeah, the, the answer is straightforward. The answer is yes. Um, they, answer. <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with, um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England, who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership, but uh, companionship and and level-headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were, I was very fortunate and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that... So many. Yeah, so many. And that's why we were successful because we had so many um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team. I think that that was outstanding and, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath, and there was nobody. And I've been going back from an earlier earlier question for me: the um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days every year uh, up until about five years ago. Of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. The wives got on with, all together all those years later. It didn't just finish. After '66, that reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. um, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and, when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those, I would pick every one of the eleven players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else; they were all outstanding, and I think that was. A big part, I can't stress how big Absolutely. a part that was, and I've said that many, many times, for the success of the team. We have some great players, you... we have some great players, of course, but without the attitude <laughs> alongside that, going back to an earlier question, you, we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately, ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the, the, the whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts, but with it. Yes, the word, the, word is showed... the, word is t- the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk sometimes. Uh, together, everyone achieves more, and that—that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking—if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life, what would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single minded. Single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job, 
um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off when you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level. You may, you know, have a, wait, have a couple of weeks holiday, but I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's, you completely focus. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go with the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence in leadership with us. I've been your host, Scott Challoner. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, or other guests of any other person therein associated.